Hi everyone. It's wonderful to see some of you back here and I hope that many other people will listen later on when we publish this podcast. Uh, but it's good to be back here. Normally every Thursday um, at this time, which is uh, nine o'clock in Central European time where I am at the moment in the Netherlands, normally I always present with Alistair Doyle and I've done that on the Thursdays at this time for I don't know how many dozens times. Every Thursday we did so. I don't think we ever skipped one. But this time Alistair cannot uh, join us. He is not feeling well. But he promised me it's not COVID. He did a test and he uh, also hopes to be back on his feet very soon. So I'm sure that he will listen to this afterwards when he's feeling better. Um, so hi Alistair as well when you hear this. Um, before I forget... Um, tomorrow at 6 p.m., so that's three hours earlier than now, uh, there will be an extra podcast with uh, the journalist Erika Gies, um, who is the one who, I think she coined the word slow water movement. So we will talk about water tomorrow. What does water actually really want? And um, uh, so she will, uh, she knows all about our relationship with water and we will talk about that tomorrow. So, uh, and she recently published a book. Um, we have had a lot of uh, authors in uh, this series, including Alistair himself, of course. Um, so that is tomorrow at 6 p.m. So I mentioned it right at the beginning uh, just so uh, that, uh, that I don't forget about it at the end. So I gave for today as a title keep your eyes on the ball and how did i get there it's about it's an issue that i've spoken a lot about it's about leadership and often that in democracies as well as in all kinds of alternative systems of government uh, which we often uh, judge less uh, favorably um, leaders are not delivering what the people want but you would expect in a democracy at least that there would be, to a large extent, a delivery of those things that we want from our government and we don't get it. So, let's start in America. I often start in America because the the extremes and the, uh, the division between what the majority of the people want and what the government is actually doing and what those that are representing the people in capital are doing so that's not always the government but just as well the opposition especially the opposition perhaps in this case is often just um it's it's just so much more an extreme mismatch than you see in most countries in europe and i think it's something that is really um important to to talk about um so uh, let's start there when a child in america died on a treadmill the country turned its attention to the threat of treadmills. Warnings were issued, there was research done, um, a lot of people were in the media from all kinds of institutions, from the company itself, uh, the media was on top of it, and uh, not only uh, parents, but also pet owners were officially warned for these very dangerous machines. And the company that produced the type of treadmill that was uh, involved uh, called uh, the inventory back to, to their factory. But there are other dangerous machines in America that have killed far more kids, but that don't get any such kind of attention. These machines are not accidental killers like a, a treadmill could be, but 
they kill because they're actually designed to do that efficiently. They're called guns. Now, I live in a country where we have more bicycles than people. And that statistic always sounded to me a bit wasteful because what can you do with so many bikes? But in the US, there are literally more guns than people. And because of the gun's efficiency in killing people, what they are designed to do, uh, the gun-to-people rate is sadly getting actually further out of balance, unlike the bikes. Now, the massive number of guns in the country is um, for civilians in the U.S. Of course, we don't count the military here or the police. Or For civilians in the U.S., there's an estimated 393 million firearms, so close to 400 million. Um, this is a study from, from 2018, um, I suppose it's higher by now. And so that is nearly 46% of the estimated 857 million civilian-held firearms in the world. So simply put, about half of the guns that are owned by civilians in the world are in the United States, while the United States has just 4% of the world's population. So... You, you get you get the extreme here that we that we are talking about, and and of course we we all know the names also outside of America. For me as a European, I can easily mention Columbine High School, Virginia Tech, um, Sandy Hook, of course, and 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 now Uvalde in, in Texas. And we could that list is so long we could go on for a long time. And as shocking as it may sound, these School shootings account only for a fraction of all gun-related deaths in America. Um, there's there's the, the, the gun violence between gangs, it's, it's, it's in neighborhoods, there's suicides, there's, there's especially all kinds of accidents at home uh, of, of unsecured guns. And the, for a child growing up in America, you face a unique extra risk that no other kid anywhere else in the Western world is facing. Um, in 2020, for instance, uh, gun violence overtook car accidents as the number one cause of death for U.S. children and adolescents. Now, children being killed by cars is tragic, um, and there's kind of a lot of things you can do about it. But you can't say we're going to abolish all cars because cars kill children. First of all, we need the cars. And second, they're not designed to do that. All of that, of course, in stark contrast to guns. Now, there was a study done by University of San Francisco together with a, a team of, um, of one of the schools in Harvard. And they compared the rates of firearm deaths in America to other kind of similar comparable countries with, with a large population, high income, rich, westly countries, well, mostly European countries. So what they found in, in their study, which is more recent, but they used the data from 2015, they found that uh, the US accounts for the vast majority of firearm deaths among children. So they looked at 29 countries and 97% of the firearm deaths among children 
of of four year and and younger, ninety seven percent out of these twenty nine countries were in the U.S. and ninety two percent of the firearm deaths uh, between the age of five and fourteen. So um, you look at twenty nine countries, and in in for both age groups, the really young kids and the and the and the young ones between five and fourteen, it's it's far more than ninety percent that were killed in the U.S. So it's it's uh, if you look at the total number of firearms, U.S. is only second in the world after after Brazil. That is nothing to be proud of, and um, and the number of uh, children uh, younger than seventeen is that is being killed by guns is going up. It was five years ago four thousand. We're now uh, by last year it was it was up uh, more than forty percent. We're we're at, at more than five and a half thousand. And um, in in this year, and now I'm talking about numbers of late May, um, at least 653 children and teens have been killed by guns. And I, imagine that for a moment. I mean, in the first five months of this year, 653 children have been killed by guns. So... If a country is willing to sacrifice so many of their most loved ones, it should better be for a good cause. And that is where I, as a European, looking from the sidelines, I, I just lose the plot. If it would be some kind of disease, if it would be car accidents or anything else, you can you can say, well, okay, we have to to tune the policies and make sure that you don't let children die in traffic or in for other causes. But this, it is just, anybody I talk to here is just lost for words what is going on there. Um, and the solution is so simple. Just abolish guns like you do in every other country in the world. Just abolish them, not, not talk about age limits or testing mental health or whatever. It's just it's just forbidden. I mean, in my country, I would have no clue how I would be able to get a gun. It's just no way that I could I could do that. And uh, so it's it's in the in the folly of American politics. It 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 seems that everyone involved has increasingly problems to keep their eyes on the ball. And that is the title I gave to, to this podcast. Keep your eyes on the ball. If you govern in any form of a functioning democracy, whether you're the government or whether you're the opposition or you're in any other official form functioning in, in, in governing the country, your main task, your only task is that you do all that you can for a better future of the people that you represent. That's it. And that's not even the case only in a democracy, even in in systems that probably all listeners in, 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 in this podcast would not prefer, that are more authoritarian. Even there, even if you're some kind of dictator, your role is still to take care of your people. But especially that is true in a democracy, especially in, in countries that are really proud of the democracy that they have. And that is how it's supposed to be. It's an unwritten contract between the people and those that represent them. You can, you can be in your position of power thanks to us, the voters, on the condition that you fight for our future and for our welfare and our education and our health care 
and everything else that we need to enjoy a good life. And yes, that includes children. Countries where this contrast, contract, this, this trust between the votes and the chosen ones is broken, those countries are in trouble. The system is no longer delivering what it was intended to do. It was not designed to be such a mismatch as we see in some countries happening, especially now in the US. Now, democracy proves time and again that it has a lot of capacity to accept blows, just as we, we've seen often in history that there is a hard-to-predict breaking point and that the moment when the majority that has been ignored fights back. And that is typical for democracies. It takes a long time before either the country, let's take America at the beginning of the Second World War, before the country is willing to fight, or the people in a democracy, that they finally unite and, and fight. And But the point is coming. You see, it's, it's a kind of law in history. History doesn't have any laws. This is a law in history where you, where you see this happening. And guns is just one example. I want to avoid the impression that I only wanted to talk about guns tonight. I just picked this one as an issue. I know how sensitive this is in the US. I know you have your own debate. I know that you hate it if other countries in the world uh, talk about it. Um, it was just one example that I wanted to highlight to show where our leaders are not delivering what the people want. And there's many, many more of those example, examples that, uh, that I could give. So um, let's look at something else here, because this is, there's, there's a, a, a bigger thing here. Let, let me first look briefly at, uh, at the comments before I go on, because you know that sooner or later I always end up in climate change. Um, I see the comments on the books of Evelyn, a mass shooting here, regulations, yes. I know the Swiss case, uh, Evelyn. Yeah, um, that is that's exactly um, uh, what happened. And there's no assault weapons, etc. Switzerland is a bit of a different case because everybody that is uh, doing their military service gets their gun to take uh, to take home. But yes, you have really really strict regulations. And I know of only one big incident uh, in Switzerland, like we had one in the Netherlands at a certain moment too. Um, but those are absolutely a minority. And um, Sharon is saying our kids in the U.S. Uh, are laying down their lives for Americans to bear arms. Why? Yeah, that's exactly the point. I mean, that is the sacrifice that it seems that the country or many influential people in the country are willing willing to make, which is which is absurd for anybody seeing this from 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 outside of the U.S. and. Um, so, so another one is climate change. Our leaders that we chose to lead us, or at least our representatives in the opposition that are supposed to represent us, they should keep their eyes on the ball of what is really the biggest, biggest threat that we are going to face in this generation and certainly in the next generation. But if we don't take action now, it is too late to save the next generation. And yes, of course, I'm talking about climate change. So what happened uh, last month in May, the threshold of 420 parts per million um, of, of, uh, of uh, 
carbon dioxide uh, in, in the atmosphere was passed. Now, why is this number important? Because it means that since the Industrial Revolution, now for the very first time, we have uh, increased the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere by 50%. When I was born, and that is 56 years ago, and pretty soon 57 years ago, um, I was born at 315 parts per million. So we went from 315 to 420. That is more than 100 parts per, per million increase. That normally takes millions and millions of years to make such a change, sometimes hundreds of millions of years. It's not that we've never been before at this level. Uh, we actually have. That was about four and a half million years ago. That's when crocodiles were swimming in, swimming in the Thames River. And that's when when um, uh, there were palm trees growing in Antarctica. And that is when the sea was at different times somewhere between 5 and 25 meters, uh, which is, uh, what is that, 75 feet higher than we talk now. It means that, for instance, the complete island where I am on now will be underwater. And that is exactly the same level of uh, parts per million that we are on now. Actually, a little bit lower than where we are on now. Um, so just wait and see what is going to happen. Uh, but we, we know that the sea level is going to rise and it is rising more rapidly. The latest data are, for me, at least pretty scary, living in a country that is known as the low countries. Um, so... Uh, the rise is, is, is really rapidly. These measures are always taken at Mauna Loa in Hawaii, which is an ideal place to do this. It's, it's high on a volcano, um, so there's, there's the least influence of, of local pollution. And uh, this is the, it's, it's known as the Keeling Curve. I've, uh, I'm sure you've seen it, named after Guy Keeling, who started in 1959 uh, to, to track this. And this curve is going up, and it should be going down. Um, so, uh, in normal times, I know I should never mention numbers in, in podcasts because people get lost. Okay. Just, just remember two numbers, three, remember, first of all, 180, that is in, in, in geological history, that is the low number of parts per million of CO2. And the other one is hundred more. Not 180, but 280. So normally, in normal times, in pre-industrial times, it used to be in the past million years or so, likely the past 3 million years, that the level of CO2 moved up and down between 180 and 280. And from 280 going to 420, where we are now, that is that 50% increase. So we have a 50% increase above what should have been the maximum. And uh, so that is uh, that is why uh, why this was in the news and why this should have been much more in the news because our leaders should be really really scared. As soon as something happens in the economy, let's say inflation goes up by fifty percent, then all politicians are up in arms and immediately you know our leaders have to appear in Congress and on television to to explain what is going on here. I doubt if any politician was asked a question, but it is not that politicians are not responsible what is happening. They're also responsible for the fact that nothing is happening to change it. Actually, the levels are still going up. In, instead of the promise made by all countries in the world in Paris in late 2015, 
that we were going to bring these levels down. We haven't done that. Um, so why am I mentioning climate here? Because um, right now, this week, next week, um, there's a meeting in Bonn, the, the former capital in Germany, where often uh, important climate meetings take place. And that is where, uh, again, a climate conference is taking place, where they are taking stock of where we are now and what have we actually done uh, since COP26 in, um, in in Glasgow. And of course, we're leading towards um, the next uh, COP, which I think is in November in, um, in Egypt. I'm not sure of the date actually, but normally it's in, in November this year. Um, so because we couldn't finish things uh, as we should in uh, in in uh, in Glasgow at COP26, it is now postponed to COP27 in in Egypt and to 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 follow up there. Bear in mind that actually COP26 was already a postponement. So we we're our leaders are again not delivering, and they are not doing what the people want them to do is actually solve this problem. That's why we give them their, their good salaries and have them in, 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 in the capitals to make these kind of difficult compromises, which they're not making. And then uh, there is uh, the, the plastic pollution. That is, that is another example. I started with guns and I spoke about climate change. Plastic pollution is now uh, projected to triple by 2060, for, for quite a few listeners, I could say that is still in our lifetimes. <clears throat> um, there's, there's enormous alarm now over the volume of this plastic production that you, you find everywhere in the deepest trenches in the ocean. You find it in the Arctic ice. Um, it is it's estimated to kill more than a million seabirds per year. And, and and over 100,000 marine animals each year. Actually, my guess is that it's by now probably higher. <clears throat> Plastic pollution is just together with climate change and together with biodiversity loss and the loss of nature and loss of habitats. It is one of the big environmental challenges of the 21st century. And again, this is not a problem that's going to go away by itself. It needs international coordination. It needs leadership. Um, if you look at the, since the 1950s, there's, there's more than 8 billion tons of plastic that have been produced. And more than 60% of that is just thrown in landfills, it's burnt, or it's, it's, it's just dumped in rivers and oceans. So that means that by 2050, so in, in less than 30 years, there's literally more plastic than fish in the ocean. And it is... If you now look, for instance, at the amount of plastic we use now compared to 20 years ago, that is that is twice as much. So we've 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 doubled in the past 20 years, and each of us can, of course, do a little bit by just not using plastic bags, for instance, etc. But the main thing is you need government at government level interventions to 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 change this. You have to set laws. You have to set the rules. You have to make plastic more expensive. You have to, 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 to use that money for subsidizing alternatives, etc. That is what you do when you govern. Let's just take one more. Um, let's, let's look at deforestation in Brazil. I mean, this is now surged to record levels. 
and it is it is now doubling the area of forest that's removed compared to just one uh, one year ago. If you compare this this year's month of April's latest latest data we have, if you compare that to the month of April a year ago, um, that is nearly doubled. And uh, it's uh, the 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 problem here has a name, and the name is Bolsonaro. And that is this is typically an example of the worst kind of leadership that you can have. That you have a leader that is responsible. That you can just you can just name one person who's responsible for that. It gets so much worse with the environment. And of course, if you can have leaders that make such a mess of it that it just gets worse and worse with the environment, you also have leaders on the other side of the spectrum. You do have leaders that show the proper leadership and that actually can can safeguard the environment, that can make the environment better, that actually can take climate action, that actually can protect nature, that can protect animals. And that is the kind of leadership we need. And the, this this kind of Trumpian variety in Brazil that we see there is just the, the other end of the spectrum that is just making things so much so much worse in the world. And that is when I when I say keep your eyes on the ball, think about why you are in the position of leadership. It is not just one big power play. It is for for some reason you ended up in a position as president of a country or as a parliamentarian or as some kind of top civil servant or whatever position of power, think about why you are there. It's not there just to earn your earn your salary or for, for being on the photo opportunities and, and becoming famous and bragging about your own position. It is about what you can do for other people. That is why we created those institutions. Don't abuse it for your own interest, but be there for the people. And that is exactly what a democracy is about. Whether you do this from a very socialist or communist kind of point of view, or whether you do this from an extreme capitalist point of view, at the end of the day, all that we do is about the people. And therefore, you also have to take care of nature, because we also need nature. Nature, we can't live without nature. We have to, we have to protect, we have to take care of the, of the environment. And time and time again, whenever I follow what our leaders in the world are doing, is that I, con I, I structurally see them making mistakes that they don't focus on the things that they should focus on. And focusing on, on the treadmill instead of focusing on guns, that is typically the kind of thing I see I see happening every day in some form or another in each country, but there are some very big countries amongst us where this problem is way worse than, um, uh, than in other countries. And now I see that there's a long chat, and while I was talking, I can't read, so let me see where we are. Um, can't America be saved from itself? Yes, that's a very good remark. Uh, I hope so. Um, America has been strong in reinventing itself several times. Um, I, I hope they find the strength to do so. I mean, what what FDR did when he took over in the early 1930s—that is a brilliant turnaround of an economy that had proven that in its in its very raw capitalist form as it was working it wasn't working 
It needed a stronger role of the government and it, it with the New Deal he proved that that was possible. And that is where democratic elections brought in somebody who really did take care of the people, of the country, of the economy, all of that. Um, the end result was difficult to see because the Second World War interfered with also uh, asked for an extreme government interference. But if you add the two of them up, the New Deal, uh, and on top of that, the war economy years, which were quickly followed um, soon after the Second World War by a Republican uh, president, by Eisenhower, who, you know, in his days, uh, the, the, the top bracket uh, income tax was 90%, 9-0, and that's a Republican. And it, things were going better. I mean, if you compare those two, the period of those two presidents together, if you look from the early 1930s until the late 1950s, if you see the transformation that America went through, even though it had been at war on both sides on, on, uh, of the world, both in, in, in the Asian theater as well as in, 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 in Europe, um, even though America was the main country that basically liberated the rest of the world, um, I'll take that back because if you look at, at, at the number of sacrifices, to the, the Soviet Union forces are far, far bigger losses, but America has been essential in being able to make the, the production of, um, of the weapons and the goods that were also needed and to, and to uh, keep the, the, the stage ground of, of, uh, of the UK alive with their transports and everything else that they've done. Winning a war on top of winning the war of poverty in your own country, that was done actually in a combination of democratic and, 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 um, uh, and, and Republican governments. So can America be saved from itself? Yes. America has proven that it can do it, but it has also proven that it can go off the rails in the late 1980s, twice, to, well, there are quite a few. I mean, you can start in 68, uh, you can start at, uh, at Ronald Reagan that said that the government was the problem and was not solving the problem, which is entirely wrong. Um, and and uh, yeah, since then it has just uh, grown worse. And in in the in the past decades in America, there's been only one Republican president that was uh, voted by the majority, voted in by the majority of of the, of the American uh, population. Twice you got a Republican president who didn't get the popular vote, uh, which is surprising for me in a country where it's just that you know each vote counts. Um, and, and, and we don't have all these kind of district systems and uh, geomandering, etc. Okay, let me go to the other comments. Um, all the Swiss militaries have their guns at home, and uh, the last mass shooting was 25 years ago. Yes, typically for in a non-American Western country, uh, that, is, that is the kind of rage you see. Maybe once in 25 years that it really, um, really turns bad. Um, and then, yeah, 2001, uh, you can still take assault rifles home, but no ammunition. Okay, that makes them pretty useless. Uh, and then the killing of seabirds. Uh, we clearly need to stop that. Yeah, killing of seabirds, so that's estimated like um, a million uh, per year. Uh, you should see the uh, documentary, uh, Waterhundje is a bird as well, you can see on the picture asking this question. Um, but uh, 
you should see documentary on uh, about Midway uh, Midway Island or the Midway Islands, I should say, um, which uh, which is tragic and fascinating by the amount of plastic that these birds have in their stomach, and then uh, that makes it apart from that it poisons them. It's much more important. It just stops the whole digestive system and just slowly kills them. It's it's horrible. Um, Evelyn started looking into plastic pollution. Evelyn has, by the way, a um, podcast about plastic. Um, and Evelyn also announces historic news um, of uh, the UN. Switzerland elected uh, to the UN uh, Security Council. Congratulations, Switzerland. Uh, that, is, uh, that is wonderful. That's an honorable position to be in because you are one of the, um, uh, the elected members of the Security Council, which you can't say of all members of the Security Council, which means that you actually had to do a lot of effort to come in. And I was a little bit involved here in uh, working together with Switzerland in one of the, uh, the um, preparatory seminars, which was somehow involved in this, uh, was one of the things that brought me to Geneva last year. Uh, I'm very happy to uh, to see Switzerland there. Our foreign minister and current president said 20 years after our entry into the UN, we want to be part of the solution with our humanitarian tradition. This was echoed by most, but the right-wing reaction was Switzerland is now definitely a party of war. In a democracy, they have a voice as well, which is, of course, not uh, true. The Security Council is there to prevent war. And that actually um, brings me to the last thing I want to say about this, that Switzerland will have a really tough time because it is extremely difficult at to be in the Security Council at this moment when international law has been broken uh, in 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 such a brutal way as we haven't seen in a very, very long time. Um, so that's going to be uh, a big challenge for Switzerland. There's a vast echo chamber going on in the US due to social media. We're extremely polarized. It will be very hard to change, very dangerous, and white supremacy is rampant. We have to address the hatred here. Yes, here, here. Um, 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 I, I so much agree. I don't think that um, the promise of social media as the... Which would have been... When social media started, it sounded so extremely democratic because everybody had a voice there. You were kind of, kind of equal. When the president of a country sends out a tweet... You, with only five followers, can react to that tweet and your balls read practically just as much. That that should have been an ideal place for uh, exchange of ideas, trying to convince each other, trying to find compromise. Instead, it has developed into something where people just uh, want, want to hear their own opinions, opinions being echoed in the chamber. So people look for each other and together they're screaming Benghazi, Benghazi, Benghazi without ever checking whether something actually went wrong in Benghazi. It has been researched over and over again and uh, it, it, it was not that there was, um, uh, that, that there was anything that represented the, the that, that uh, how do I say that in English, that that made it worse making all this noise about it. The same with with uh, Hillary's emails. I mean, compared to what happened with uh, with under the Donald Trump government. I mean, 
having an email server somewhere? What are we talking about? I mean, but as long as you keep shouting to each other that there's a problem, if you keep shouting that the elections are stolen, at a certain moment, people start to believe that there must actually some be something wrong. I mean, this is this is um, communication techniques that have been uh, developed in uh, the late 1930s in uh, in Germany. Um, when Germany was a completely different country than the well-functioning democratic country it is nowadays. So check out our last week tonight. Uh, oh, that's for Aida. Uh, uh, did a segment on this. Okay, that is this is internal Swiss talk that I'm not following. I don't know last week uh, tonight. Um, so um, yeah. So 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 back to what I was talking about. Back to. Uh, the questions of, of 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 leadership. I mean, these were just a number of examples. Uh, some was about you know security, and some was about environmental issues. Uh, but I could I could mention many more. But I think it is dangerous for a democracy when people start to lose their faith in in their elected representatives and in their elected leaders. If they are not delivering what they should do at a certain moment, you get a point like people just just don't believe in the system anymore. And, and I'm still with Winston Churchill, who said that democracy is a pretty bad system, but I just can't think of a better one. And I still believe that is that is the case. So of course, there are different kinds of democracies we have quite a few uh, swiss people on board here that switzerland has a completely different democracy uh, than uh, a country like the united states uh, where uh, it is not that uh, it's like one man one vote or one person one vote i should say uh, because if you live in montana and you can uh, you can vote for the senate your vote is 50 times stronger than if you live in California, you vote for the Senate. It is it is just an utterly unfair system. And I understand why especially Jefferson wanted that, um, because he, he needed a kind of balance between, in the first 17 states, between the more populous states and, and let's say, a state like, like Rhode Island, uh, that they would not be voted out uh, by uh, an equal representation of the representatives and therefore he came with the senate system which actually uh, was uh, taken over from what the greeks claim it it was actually a small state in the southwestern part of turkey where they had this already more than 2000 years ago and and it was functioning but if if you now see that a system is not functioning and not delivering you need to have the flexibility to to adapt the system, and I think that for coming back to the American case, um, clearly what you should do is uh, is to stop Citizens United. You can't have uh, so much more influence by uh, companies than by people because. Ultimately, it's about we the people. It's not about we the CEOs or we the corporations. It is about the people, and that. And when that principle is lost, uh, we are in, in, in deep trouble in a world that is already so challenged in environmental ways and it is already so challenged in, uh, by, uh, by the geopolitical tensions that are, that are, are rising. So we have like, like a lot of crisis at the moment coming upon us 
that are uh, geopolitical. It is about lack of multilateralism. It is uh, a lot of distrust between countries. Um, there's hard economic times. There's a very serious war going on in Ukraine. There's a lot of hunger that is killing way more people in the world than the people that are being killed in Ukraine. And all of these things together and add to that this whole mix of, of environmental issues, of, of climate change and of habitat loss and of, of um, uh, biodiversity loss and, 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 and the pollution crisis. If you add all that whole mix together and add to that all the, the, all the problems that are described in the 17 goals of the SDGs, so, so take in the elements of, of, of health and education and water and food and energy and, and everything else related to it. This is becoming increasingly a very, very difficult planet to govern. And the least that you can then ask is that those that govern us, that those that have the power, that that they keep their eyes on the ball and that they focus on what is what is really important to be solved. And that is not a child falling off a treadmill. Uh, that is issues like gun control and even much more important than that at a much, much bigger scale. That is issues like climate change, because if we don't solve that, this is this is literally the existential threat, existential in a way that, yes, we cannot exist if we don't get this problem under control. And if we have leaders in power that don't get this, they just shouldn't lead. And I think that is that is maybe um, a good bottom line uh, for tonight because I've been talking now for 45 minutes and um, I think I will end here because I'm not feeling for long debates. We already, I'm very happy that we got all the, uh, all the chats uh, coming in. Um, and I'll be back tomorrow and I'm, I hear on my voice that I'm kind of losing my voice. I hope this was interesting for you. I hope that you agree a little bit to what I said. Um, don't forget to be back uh, tomorrow uh, because then I will talk way less. I really will try and I will be listening uh, because uh, Erika Gies is really interesting to uh, listen to tomorrow. Um, so I hope you'll be back starting three hours earlier than we did today. So that is 6 p.m. in Europe. So that means that is noon uh, Eastern time. And that means that it's nine o'clock in the morning for the Californians uh, and Arizonians uh, that, are, uh, that are listening right now. Thanks so much for joining. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to uh, this podcast. Uh, and uh, to me and uh, to the other podcast because the other podcast I will soon start to use way more than this one during the summer months for brief updates about what I am doing and not about what is happening in the world because it's summertime and I'll just share some holiday stories on there um, so I hope you will follow the other one as well um, with that I'm going to leave you thanks so much for listening i really liked that uh, you were all there and hope to see and hear you all tomorrow again bye bye